This is a unique podcast exploring the criminal justice system and those involved and affected. We'll educate and expose the public as well as potential jurors to what takes place behind the scenes of those who are facing the system. Your host owns a litigation support firm called Justice Technology Professionals, and he works on criminal and civil cases offering support to defendants and counsel. What you're about to hear is an open dialogue, opening the minds to the public, to what takes place in reality, as opposed to what you think takes place. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Justice Tech Pros Podcast. Here's your host, Dominic Crea. Justice Tech Pros here. I'm very excited about today's episode. I'm having return guests Andrew Garrett and Patrick Eller on. Last time they were on, we had an in-depth conversation about cell sites. Today, we're going to be discussing experts on a whole, at just a different level of experts and some of the problems that Andrew and Patrick encounter when they are trying to work a case and investigate a case and some of the roadblocks they hit when they try to accomplish certain things. It's going to be very interesting, I believe extremely educational, so I'm going to invite them both on now. Gentlemen, welcome back. Uh, I have Patrick Eller and Andrew Garrett and uh, the return return guests on uh, the podcast, and I want to invite them back because we always have an interesting dialogue, a lot of things that we talk about people aren't aware of, so thanks again, guys, for being on. Appreciate you inviting us. Absolutely. Thanks, Don. So we, we were talking a little bit. Um, uh, you, you know what? Before before we dive in, I think it, it'd be good for those who, who aren't familiar, uh, you know, with the past episode, maybe just to introduce yourself, uh, let everybody know exactly what you do and uh, what your background is, just to give a little quick overview so they know when we dive into it, what we're going to be touching on. Go ahead, Patrick. Yeah, sure. So. Uh, my name is uh, Patrick Eller. I'm the CEO of Metadata Forensics. Uh, we are a digital forensics consulting company and private investigation firm based out of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, and we serve clients, both uh, civil and criminal, defense, prosecution, plaintiff, defendant, uh, with digital forensic needs and private investigations. Excellent. Thank you, Pat. And I am Andrew Garrett, CEO of Garrett Discovery. We're a digital forensic consulting firm. We have offices throughout the United States and one in Nairobi, Kenya. And uh, we um, work as expert witnesses. We analyze every piece of digital evidence we can get our hands on, whether it's um, cell phones, cars, uh, trains, um computers, de- biometric devices, hospital equipment, and uh, we're able to analyze that data, write reports, and testify in court um, across the nation, just about everywhere. We work on right around 600 to 900 court cases a year. Excellent. Again, thank you guys for being on. And uh, before we um, we were talking a little bit offline, and I figured we could elaborate on uh, those topics, but one thing that struck out to me on one of the social media platforms, I saw just kind of, um, you get a lot of times where experts don't want to really focus on the science of it, and they try to almost buck that aspect and try to go down a different path. And I was wondering, do you see that a lot? Do you see where you're just trying, your firm's just trying to let the science tell the tale, and you'll see other uh, quote-unquote experts come in and, and try to argue with you based on not the science aspect, but based on other elements, whether it's personalities or, or, or clicks or whatnot. Do you see that happen now and again? Patrick. Yeah, I mean, I, I see this happen quite often um, where it's more about... Uh, what they believe happened versus what they can prove through the data. Uh, a good example of that is I recently had a federal case in which a prosecution examiner or law enforcement examiner uh, told the prosecution that 
someone connected this drive containing this material to this computer, and this is how he was looking at files without changing file dates and file times. It was this crazy story. And so I get uh, contacted, and I get appointed to this case. And the first thing I do is I say, let me go look at all the evidence. So they show me all the evidence. They show me the drive that contained this supposed uh, contraband data that they they were discussing. And I asked him what the story was. And he goes, it was connected to that uh, HP tower computer right there. It has the capability. Now, mind you, we were talking about an IDE drive, legacy technology. Let's go 20 years or more in reverse. And so I take the computer apart right there in front of this individual and other entities from that law enforcement agency. And I spin the computer around in front of them, and there's not even a connection for an IDE drive in the computer. And, and the individual tells me, well, I looked the specs up, and it said it was supported. He didn't take it apart. He didn't try to connect it. He didn't try to do any of these things. But yet they're trying to use this information to potentially change someone's life by, by charging them, convicting them, putting them in jail. And that, that's what's amazing. I mean, they don't even go by the evidence. They just want to fill the narrative. So whatever they could do to fill that narrative, that's what we see take pl place time and again. And it's really disturbing that you see it on an expert level. You know, you're trying to go by the science. You're trying to let the information tell the tale. And then you're just getting these stories that don't line up once you dive in and investigate it. Yeah, and, and I think we got to it's, – it's a fundamental problem that we have in our industry. And – um, one of the problems is, is we're not regulated. We don't have, you know, licensure boards that we have to deal with. It isn't like you got to stand before a board and prove what you know. Plus, you've got technology that changes very rapidly. So everybody's trying to catch up at all times. And, and you have law enforcement centers, and I'm going to pick on them for a minute because I can. But they have law enforcement officers that go to a little bit of training with a limited budget and now they're out there doing this and they can't really support their opinions by science but on the flip side of that they've gotten away with that for a long time and the reason they have is because the judges aren't scientific in other words the judges don't understand this stuff well enough to know when to ask a question when to stop somebody and they just let everybody puke out in court all kinds of crazy wild fabricated stuff and everybody says, well, it sounds really technical. It must be correct. And unfortunately, that's not. We see that over and over. Patrick and I have conversations about this all the time. We call each other every couple of days just kind of chuckling and laughing at what's going on in the industry. <laughs> and what we see, it's almost a daily occurrence for us to shake our head and go, how does this even happen? Like I have a case right now with a former movie star. This movie stars is charged with some things. Okay. And – um. One of, the, one of the things law enforcement said is they says, well, we know these things happen because there's these un absolutely unrelated incidents that look like what this is, so it must be this person. And the two sets of evidence aren't – one set of evidence is a set of evidence that belongs to a bunch of people. A bunch of people used it. A bunch of people used the same account. Um, they access the same material, and they're saying, well, because of this web search over here, that is indicative enough to say that you must have committed this offense. And I say, okay, if I have a piece of paper in my pocket that says I, I completed three drug deals, it has how much I made from each drug deal, does that now mean that every drug deal in the world I'm responsible for? And the answer is, of course not. If we were if we were talking about drugs or guns or any other area of, of criminal law, it, that would be thrown out in five seconds. But all of a sudden, now we throw out all the rules when it comes to digital evidence because we, nobody else is challenging individuals on science. Um, and half of what's going on out there is not science at all. It's completely made up. And what's really interesting is to see how many software companies or law enforcement tools that were designed by a former law enforcement officer that are not based on any science whatsoever, but being spun in court as a science. Um, and we, we had a previous podcast about something like this, I think, where it was uh, uh, called Detail Records. Yep. 
which is billing records from cell sites, right? And, and the, the tower data that they get says this tower broadcast in a cone in a specific direction, and we know the person was in this cone. But as Patrick and I could go out in the field any day, we could take radio frequency measurement equipment designed to test cell phone tower coverage and find out that the coverage looks nothing like what they're presenting in court. And there is a few courts. I, like uh, I'll have to give it to there's uh, U.S. versus like Antonio Evans in the Seventh Circuit Northern District. Lug Lugcow, the, the federal, I think it's the magistrate Lugcow, uh, made the decision to say that stuff's out. It's not scientific. It's all just junk and made up. There's no there's no calculation behind it. There's no measurement behind it. There's it fails when it comes to the federal evidence 702. Um, there's no, it's not generally accepted by the scientific community. And then what you'll hear is law enforcement say it's, it's accepted by our community, law enforcement community. Well, of course it is. Cause it tells, tells a story you like, That's but right. it works in their favor by anybody else. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, then, then Patrick, and I, we'll, we'll talk about the whole, what happens when we're about to challenge a, something as saying it's unscientific all of a sudden now it's. It's um, law enforcement sensitive data and you can't see it. And we're going to write and they're trying to write orders over and over again that says we're not even allowed to look at the evidence. Forget Brady. This is you can't even look at it. It's so proprietary and it has government secrets in it and you can't look at it at all in fear that we're going to challenge it. Right. And, uh, and Patrick could probably talk a little bit about some of that stuff with you know, some of the online detection software stuff that are being used out there. Well, what's what's concerning is everything that you just laid out. Now they, they go in front of a jury. And if you have a judge who don't really know the science behind it, and then now they're talking in front of the jury, they're using all these different terms, they're using ideologies that the jury, the average person just really cannot relate to. So therefore, the default is everything that comes out of this guy, this guy or this woman's mouth is gospel. So now you have the jury just buying into it, and the, how do you counteract that? If if the defense doesn't call their own, uh, you know, rebuttal expert, that's a big problem. And, and I think as you hit on before, they constantly go unchallenged. So this is now how they have things play out. They use this playbook, they have it play out, and now you have the jurors buying into it, and that's what's really scary. Here, 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 Dominic. It's like this. It's called push button plea deals, I, and I'm being honest. So. A lot of these cases don't even see the inside of a courtroom. Buttons are pressed on a piece of software that spits out a report that is used to garner a plea deal. And from there, when it does go to court, you're exactly right. When the defense counsel does not uh, obtain their own expert, and there is an expert being used by the prosecution to explain that data, there's a problem. Because, like you just said, you're only hearing one side of the story at that point. You're hearing the side of the story, not only that, of someone who knows the exact details of the entire investigation as well. Right. Versus having someone who can walk you through it, what the data actually means, what it shows, what it doesn't show. Because that's just as important sometimes. So, and... I will tell you, when we talk about transparency, I just had a case that was a child pornography case where I told defense counsel, hey, listen, if they're offering you a plea deal, you should take it. It's that bad. Right. Because that's what it is. It's not like I'm saying, hey, let's try to use this tactic and do this to them or try and do this. No. If it, the data is what it is, and when it's that bad, and the client's not telling the attorney the truth, the attorney needs to go seek someone who's going to set them up for success. Right. Well, that's the problem. So you're, you're, you're not on one side or the other. You're just having the science tell the tale. You're having the information tell the tale. And what's amazing is you're actually up against other experts who fault you for that and give you a problem over that. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Oh yeah. You know, it, I, I, can't tell you how many times where it's well you work for the defense now so we can't talk to you or oh you defend criminals who do a b and c how, how are you saying they're criminals what happened to innocent until proven guilty i don't understand we're talking about science we're talking about data 
especially because we're talking about technology ever changing every minute of every day on every application. And unless you're doing testing, unless based on the facts of that particular case, you're taking downloading those apps, buying the devices that are involved, all of those things, because that's not happening on the opposite side. You don't know if that data is accurate until you actually examine it and test it. Otherwise, all you know is what's being written in a report. I had that recently happen in another case where they said, we didn't write a report. This was an examiner saying, I didn't write a report and this is what it is. Huh. Well, what do you mean you didn't write a report then? If, if you're just saying this is what it is. So this is an examiner at a state law enforcement agency telling me this. I go back to the county that submitted that information and I find a report in the file from that examiner stating that nothing of evidentiary value was found pertaining to this offense. But the examiner lied to my face. All the time. It's not about the science. It is It is veered so far from the science. And, and, and let, let me give you another another way to look at this too. If you look at all the tools we use, and we have lots of tools available um, to do what we do, there are certain tools that we have to use on certain things because that's the only tool in the market. Right. But flatly, if you talk with any salesperson, anybody at the company, they say, we don't support or care about anybody but law enforcement because they represent 97% of our client base. And they will block you, prohibit you from buying software. They say, and, and the excuse is law enforcement doesn't want you to have the software, so we're not going to sell it to you. But it's the only option you have to get into something because they have a monopoly on the access to certain things. So, for instance, Gray Key. Gray Key is a sore subject with a lot of examiners. Yeah, I actually remember Gray you Key. spoke about that on the last podcast. I remember that. About yeah, that. yeah, Gray Key can get into iPhones, but we can't have it. You have to be law enforcement have access to it. So what, you, what you're not only doing is – yeah, well, what we have is a situation where access to justice is denied outside of law enforcement. But law enforcement is not interested in the justice. They're interested in a prosecution. And this is very apparent when I've had detectives in the witness stand that says, we don't care about stopping the proliferation of child pornography. We care about prosecutions. That's flatly what they said. There's no, 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 no skirting around that issue. Absolutely, they incredible. don't care about stopping it, but they've got the tools to stop it from even being transmitted across the network. But us as consumers, we don't have that ability to go into my internet service provider, check mark a box, and say, "I want any file that is listed in the national database of child pornography to not be able to come into my network." So my young child is not accidentally downloading something, and you have a teenage kid. You can only imagine the fears that you have, right? Of course. So. So we don't we as consumers don't have that because there's a business in this. Now whether the business is prosecution or whether the business is profit, it is a business on the other side of this coin. So the way we have to counteract all of that, and Patrick I do this on a daily basis, is we have to one, make sure we get a hundred percent of the discovery that's available. Number two we have to be zealous advocates for our clients to have full transparency of what happened up into the date of their arrest. So that means we have to get information from our client, but we also have to get all the information from law enforcement, even the information they don't want to share. I mean, I have situations where, well, for instance, Dropbox. Dropbox will give law enforcement a listing of all the files, copies of the files out of somebody's, somebody's account, even in a criminal defense case. Now, somebody in Florida can issue a, a law enforcement can get from Dropbox all this information. But if a criminal defense attorney subpoenas that, they have to get the subpoena domesticated in California. They have to get it served in person. They have to go through all this hoopla that takes months just to get information from Dropbox that law enforcement has readily available to them at any time. Because Dropbox set the rule to be that way. They have an office in all 50 states. They have a registered agent that could accept it in all 50 states, but they don't. And the reason they don't is because they have these relationships. And when you start looking at these types of relationships, you'll see these law enforcement awards ceremonies 
every year where you have individuals from Dropbox, Instagram, Facebook up there on stage with the the fake plastic badge on one side of them. And sometimes they get a gun on the other side of them and they're not law enforcement. Wow. So they built this club and it's like a club and a clubhouse and you're either in or when you're out, you're the enemy. Forget science. It's a fraternity. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you see that split, you know, when, in your interactions? Do you see, like, uh, experts on your side of the fence where it's, it's all about the science? You're just trying to put, you know, focus on the information, and then it's right down the line. It's, it's a clear-cut line. On the other side of that line, you have those who just really don't even care about the science. They're just pushing a narrative. Do you see that? <clears throat> Not sure can answer that. Yes, <laughs> I, I mean I do. I do see it, but I I see it on the defense side too, right? There are defense experts out there who will just write a report based on whatever's being asked. Hundred percent. And I've ran into that more so on the civil side than the criminal side, but I've run into that quite a bit. But I'll give you a good example of something else to to relate to the topic that Andrew was just talking about. And this is like one of the best examples I can think of that has recently happened to me. So what does it mean when you get appointed as an expert ex parte? That's outside of the That's uh, off the record pretty much. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> but then once you start doing your, your analysis, you realize the only tool that can provide the information that's going to help the client is a law enforcement only tool that you don't have access to. Yeah. How do you overcome that? Good question. How do you overcome that? Because the vendors surely aren't going to help you and they're not going to give you their law enforcement only tool, but yet the court has deemed you as an expert ex parte because of the confidentiality required. What do you do in that situation? Right. That is where we get put at a mercy in a big disadvantage to what's available to help defend someone versus what's available to help prosecute someone. Yeah, well, so that, where's the and science? That's what's so that. concerning. Where's the science? No, there isn't on. And what's so disturbing about that is, you know, the judge is supposed to almost be like a referee, for lack of a better term, where they're just trying to make sure everybody's getting an equal shot. And that decision right there alone shows that's not the case. I agree. But the judge can't force the vendor to to let you use their tool either, unfortunately, right? Correct. So, But at that same time, I know that in this particular case, law enforcement did not do what they should have done. But in order for me to get the information to show that there's exculpatory data that exists, I can't because I'm not afforded the use of the tool that would show that data. And that's the obstacle. How do you overcome something like that? I mean, and now, like, say it gets to the court level where they're they're able to explain that, and you your hands are tied. You can't even counteract it because you weren't able to look at it. You weren't able to go up against it and analyze it. How do you counteract that in a courtroom? You, you can't. Yeah. Well, the only thing <laughs> is you, you end up having to talk with the defense counsel and you have to open that door, right? You have to release the ex parte and in order to force law enforcement at that point through the judge's order to use their tool to get you the data. But then they're going to turn around and look at it, which is fine, but it's not something they did in their normal course of business that they would have done. Right. Which is, which is sad. You have to go around this whole entire escapade just to try to get what you're trying to do, really just to either prove it one way or another. That's the bottom line. All you're trying to do is analyze it, and you're not even getting the opportunity to do that. I have a case right now, four years of discovery to get a hold of one cell phone. The DOJ will not let anybody analyze it. Wow. It won't do it. And this is, if they want to sit on the case forever, they're going to they're gonna end up losing this case over discovery issues and i know why because they processed it and produced some results with one tool and then they used another tool and got a totally different set of results and they want to use one and not the other the problem is that's the same thing with the casey anthony case you know you've got 
multiple tools spitting out different results, which one do you rely on? Well, you need to do a bunch of scientific testing. Well, nobody wants to do the scientific testing. It gets too technical then. And and I think, you know, I have to be somewhat at least um, pull myself down to some reality here. Law enforcement aren't engineers. They don't have that background. They didn't go to, you know, nine years with the training on forensics. Most of them have two weeks, three weeks of the training, and they do this. And then eventually they either get good or they just – muddle on and muck their way through it and the way i look at this is 95 percent of the cases they're working on they could spit out some results and the defendant probably is never going to hire a hire an expert to defend themselves right and, and they get plea deals all day but then all of a sudden it's oh we have a defense expert so there's two ways of dealing with a defense expert from the prosecution side either cause discovery issues that run the bill up so high nobody can afford to pay the expert anymore the defendant spent all his money just getting access to the evidence or two, um, you know, veer so far away from the science that your experts spending an exorbitant amount of time trying to pull it back down to be science. Because I see a lot of like what we call analysts out there that just put anything in the world on paper. They have no idea what they're talking about. Half of them have no and not enough training or background any of it they've been to some law enforcement schools that taught them in one way and indoctrinated them to one way but they've never even considered the other side of anything they've never considered justice they just consider i was trained this way i push a button i get a result and that result is absolutely purely fact but the the manufacturer of the software can write right on the front of it that you have to do some testing to validate this because this isn't always correct and it won't happen there's I no see. testing being done. There's no peer review. I find very few. Well, I find very few law enforcement centers doing peer review. What you usually find is one person in one shop in the middle of nowhere doing work for three to four police departments, and they have nobody else to reach out to. They have nobody else to go above to to have a conversation. And this is we've got a we've got an industry problem. It is either you're with us or you're the enemy. And for instance, I have a law enforcement officer I hired right. just a couple of weeks ago, and he started with us. Since he started with us, the he got threatened to show. So they started issuing subpoenas to have him show up for what they call investigative subpoenas, just to come in and have a chat with the prosecutor. And, and this is just for basically you hiring him now. That's what spawned this. Yeah, yeah. There's like you work for the defense now. Um, you left law enforcement. We were going to pitch you in a res as a reserve agent, and you're not working on any cases in our entire county that you used used to work on, um, because I I told him I'm not going to have him work on cases in the same county because it could be a conflict, right? He could end right. up in a case working on a case that he was the detective on before. Sure. So I said, no, you're not going to work in this county at all. And they says, no, you can't be a reserve agent because you work on cases that do defense work. So you're therefore conflicted out. Well, guess what? We work for prosecutors too. We work for military. We work for anybody in any, anybody that wants science-based facts in a report based on digital evidence will work for it. It doesn't make a difference to us. Now, here's the really weird thing. You don't see somebody going to a DNA lab to do DNA testing and saying, well, the DNA test results said it's negative. It's not my suspect. Therefore, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> You're now the enemy. Right. right. Why? It's a laboratory. You do a test. It's based on science. You get a result. There's not defense labs and prosecution labs when it comes to DNA. Well, that, Evidence, that's what's blood, really crazy. Trace. Because, you know, it's it's really not, when you're looking at it, it's not that you are a, a defense expert. That's not the case at all. And you get classified by that if you go by the science. That's what's very interesting. If you break it down, you're going by the science, so therefore you're classified as a defense expert. Why? If everybody's an expert going by the science, there should be no such thing as defense, prosecution. There should be no such, such thing in theory. But it seems as though, you, you know, on your end, you're not the one pointing the finger as to who's a prosecution expert. You're saying, okay, let's go by the science. You don't want to go by the science? Why is that? And that's what's really, anybody with common sense should be able to see that something's wrong by looking at that picture. Take, take a look at the industry. All the people that lobbied to require to do forensics in a state that you either have to be a former law enforcement officer or you have to be a private investigator. 
What does private investigation work have to do with forensics? Forensics is like the science. That's like saying a private investigator can now do DNA processing. Usually, most private investigators aren't, aren't computer engineers. They don't understand these things. So now, so what that what that did is that created a situation where the only people that could do that work are former law enforcement officers. And what we find all the time, Patrick and I have had these conversations, is there are a lot of experts out there that are friends with law enforcement individuals that they used to work with or they're friends with it that do the forensics for a county or state or even the feds that will simply just write a report that somebody's guilty all day long and that's what they do they get paid to say somebody's guilty and the prosecutors love them they hand out their business cards they share their names throughout everything and say oh he does a great job here's the deal because he's constantly giving the prosecutor a win-win to be guilty because he's not basing it off the science and they call this they call these relationships like i'm 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 friends with the prosecutor i can tell you right now if you're a criminal defendant and you're hiring an expert that says you're buddies with the prosecutor that's putting you possibly putting you in jail that's probably not an expert you want to hire <laughs> right i mean it's it's not i mean because there are friendships and bias that come into play in that if it strictly was science based it would be totally different you could separate those two things completely, but there's too much of a, a fraternal component to law enforcement to separate yourself from the fraternity part of it and not be somewhat biased. So what I usually find, like companies like Cellbrite, Cellbrite is a dominating force in the market. Cellbrite only has a few instructors worldwide that are not former law enforcement. They have almost 100% law enforcement staff. Now, here's the interesting thing. They're all active law enforcement. That means they're taking off from their day job to go teach a class and get paid five, ten thousand dollars sometimes to teach a class. But during their day job, they're law enforcement. Those classes that they teach, if you're not law enforcement, you're not allowed to be in. So they've got a monopoly on using law enforcement to teach law enforcement to build tools for law enforcement on certain things and if you're not part of that club you're out in the field it's it's it makes things pretty difficult uh for us but we've got you know enough good relationships basing everything off science that we get access to the right things we need to do our jobs now when you come yeah. in and you, and you guys wind up you know dealing with a case and you and you you know you're, you're testifying and, and whatnot do you find that you have to start out undoing a lot of the damage and misconceptions that were done prior to you when they had the other expert on, do you find that often where you got to kind of have a mini dialogue to explain these, these things of what takes place? Well, look, I think two parts to that. It not just undoing uh, the, the misconceptions of what someone previously said about something, like I explained in the case earlier, right? But, not even providing the full data and discovery to defense counsel. That's where it actually starts. And so when you talk about cell phones, let's start there because it's probably the number one piece of digital evidence being reviewed right now in a lot of cases. Yes. So when you talk about mobile devices and you talk about what's being provided, and I just had this happen to me in a case, matter of fact, evidence I just opened this morning that just got delivered. And it is, uh, two phone extractions that I'm reviewing as part of a case. And the only thing I was provided were the PDF files. So all the parsed data from the phones in a thousand, thousand, multi tens of thousand page PDF files, not the raw data, not the data so that I can analyze it in another tool, not that I can import it into my own tool and see what they did, just the PDF files. And so I ask and that's all that was provided. That's all that was provided in discovery, not what was actually extracted and placed into evidence, just the, the parsed report data. Yeah, they're not giving you the raw, the raw information. They're just giving you whatever no. was dumped into the no. discovery. Yeah. They didn't turn over the raw data. But that's what's happening a lot is defense counsel is not getting the raw data. A lot of times prosecution's not even getting the raw data. Because they're relying on the person who did the exam to say what it actually says, not them actually reviewing it and understanding it. And so what happens a lot of times in these cases is 
where that occurs, first I go back and get the raw data. I have to teach them about what raw data means and why it's important because you look at a lot of things uh, with mobile devices and, and that probably Cellbrite uh, might be the number one or two tool that's being used. And so they do this data extraction. Yeah, they the dump it in Excel Cellbrite. I've seen that well, a lot. Well, yep. well, yeah, but a lot of times they're dumping it in PDF right now. Right. And they say, well, this is so that they can read it. No, you can put the reader on the disk. It does it automatically right in the software. You're not fooling anyone, one. Two, what I do is I just wait. And a lot of times now they come to testify, and this is someone who may have had one class on how to use it, how to do it, how to look at things. And the first things I'm asking is, did you include the uncategorized data? What? Did you review the databases manually? Not the ones that are parsed by the software, the ones that are not parsed by the software for information pertaining to this investigation. Did you not search by the Instagram name, but by the Instagram account number? Because that's how it's stored in the database. When you said there was no Instagram messages, but yet here's my report and here's all the Instagram messages. And now when you're posing those questions, what kind of response are you getting? Blank stare. Cricket. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, I tell you, there's nothing better than um, having somebody in the witness stand in which you you look at their CV and you pull all their training books out, right? right. You, you go to court and you ask them something and then you flip open their, he says, well, this is based on your training and education, correct? Well, what training and education have you had to support that theory? And they say, oh, this, I went to this school here. And we go, can you, and we hand them the, literally the Bible, the book from their school. Say, can you look at page 202, read paragraph one, the highlighted paragraph. And they read it and say, isn't that exactly opposite of what you just said? <laughs> but the problem is, and that happens all the time. We do this stuff all the time because they're not basing it off of any education. They're basing it off guesswork. They're guessing through this stuff. We see so many knee-jerk reactions. Now – don't get me wrong. We're not talking about parsing something apart and say, hey, you can't prove this person was behind the keyboard, but two minutes before they did this bad act on the computer, they were sending grandma an email saying they're going to lunch, right? right. Clearly, we could place somebody behind the keyboard. I mean, we're not talking about finding the needle in the haystack here. We're talking about just basic forensic 101. There are things that are completely missed. And we're batting, you know, right around 26% complete dismissals on criminal defense cases. And the rest of those, I could say, is minimization strategy. They end up with a way better plea bargain than they start with because they're way overcharged with a bunch of stuff that can't be supported by any science. But I, I had a case a couple months ago that was a great example. Guy was charged for the possession of pictures of his own daughter naked. Right? And everybody thinks, whoa, right? instant knee-jerk reaction is, whoa, wait a second, what's going on here? Do you know what it was? His daughter plugged his phone, her phone into his computer, and it backed up her phone into an iTunes backup. Yeah. The problem was he never opened up the iTunes backup. He wouldn't have ever known he even had the stuff on his computer. Yeah, and iTunes is all linked like that. You know, I have I have. Yeah, he has now. no, absolutely zero idea whatsoever. But, of course, you know, this is a trial and at least the prosecution's expert didn't try to dance around it. He flatly said, yeah, he's never opened it. Well, how do you know he knowingly possessed it? The prosecutor's like, still, it's on his computer. And the jury, the jury's looking at him like, it's still on your computer. And you really have to do a lot of education to explain how some little 15-year-old girl that was online talking to boys, sending photos around, is now ends up on her father's computer. But if you read... A law enforcement report, it, it looks as if this guy never touched a computer in his life, went to Walmart, bought a laptop, went home, and did this bad act, and that's the only thing he's ever done. There's no context in anything. Yeah, it's about putting so the story together so that they understand all of <clears throat> all of the elements, not just part of it. You know, that's that's it. And, but you can't get to that. You cannot get to that if you you've never shared the evidence. I, I, I trust me, I've dealt with it firsthand, so I know I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, you and I have worked together on a few audio uh, instances, so I've dealt with it firsthand. I know oh, the yeah. frustration. I know the frustration. Along those same lines, like I recently had a case where how obvious is this? Just think about this from your perspective, and, and, and the listeners out there too. 
So, person is suspecting of possessing, we'll go with soundboard. And they buy a used drive. Now, all of a sudden, they their house gets searched for uh, an unrelated charge. And uh, all this media is taken during the search of it. They take like 30, 40 pieces of digital evidence from this person's uh, residence. On this one particular device, they find suspected child pornography. So you guys got to start using different examples. I hate those examples. <laughs> let's go okay, with they found. Ex- let's go with they found explosive uh, making devices on the computer. But, 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 but understand, <laughs> this is why this this one this in particular example is very important. Because imagine if this was you. Is my point right? Anybody out there who sure. buys a used computer, for instance, right? This person bought a used hard drive from a secondhand electronics store. And it was already on the drive when he purchased it. Right. Yeah. That how how do you account shown. for that? That's what's scary. How do you that, account that for that? That was never shown by the prosecution, but yet I was able to prove it. And how, how did you do that, Patrick? Maybe just explain a little bit. So, you know, how, how were you able so, to show that one, it was on prior? The files that were on it predated uh, the purchase of the drive. How did I figure that out? There was a sticker on the drive with the price and the date that it was for sale. <laughs> gotcha. All the time. In, in, in the files, the dates on the files predated that date. Well, I think what's so frustrating about that is you'll show it, which I've seen a lot. Somebody on your end, you'll actually show that to the prosecutor. Even say before you even go into the courtroom, when you're going through discovery and you'll show certain things just aren't accurate. They don't even want to hear it. They just don't no. even want to hear it. Don't uh, want to hear it. Bury their head in the sand. Wait. Uh, my, and my now if their true job was, you know, the, the job of prosecutor isn't supposed to win cases. It's supposed to be justice. Wait. So it's if, for a jury to decide. I just had someone tell me that this morning. This is, it doesn't matter. It's for a jury to decide. I'm telling you it's inaccurate. It doesn't matter. It's for a jury to decide. Yeah, but you, you, you got to be a little fair. So the prosecutor's got this. You know, the prosecutor is not a a forensic expert either, and they're not an engineer, and they're trusting a bunch of people. Do you know how many times – Patrick will probably tell you this – that we – also that we'll walk in somewhere to do work for a a defendant, and the prosecution's experts there, and um, they will flatly say something that's completely wrong. We'll bring it up and say, here's – no, that's not true, and here's the science, or we'll inter- interject. They'll never give it to the prosecutor, and they say this. I get to decide who gets prosecuted. Prosecutor doesn't. I do. They're in charge of their own kingdom because how can a prosecutor that's got all this digital data understand any of this stuff? Well, I, I agree with you. I agree with you as far as that goes, Andrew, and you're right. I, you know, they wouldn't understand it the same way a defense attorney wouldn't understand it. But here's my gripe. Now, if you're able to explain it to them prior and you're able to show it to them prior just to look at it a different way, I've seen too many times they don't even want to hear it. They just shut down. Now, if they're totally open-minded and they really are just going about justice, wouldn't you just in good conscience want to make sure you're prosecuting somebody who deserves it, that the facts lead them to be guilty, not somebody who's innocent that you have to fight to make them look guilty? I agree. How about you make your experts that you're using for prosecution go back and see if they can verify exactly what I'm telling you. Exactly. So that when they verify it, Oh, but wait, when they verify it, then guess what? If we're, if my story matches their story, then, uh-oh, we can't use that because we can't have this person testify. It doesn't meet the fact pattern. <laughs> well, I mean, yep. And on. unfortunately, that kind of just shows what the true angle is. Because like you said, Patrick, you could just tell them, listen, don't take my word for it. Listen to what I'm telling you and have your expert look into it. And have them look into it. Don't even take me now if they look into it and they have the results. And they still don't want to believe it. That just tells everything you need to know. Now you know it's it's no longer about justice. Justice has nothing to do with the case. It, it's well, arrogance. Know, it's we complete talked about, arrogance. We talked about the law enforcement tools earlier. I wanted to circle back to one thing real quick, right? So I, I think we might have touched on this on the last podcast, but I'm going to bring it up again. It's definitely out there. There's an article written by Olivia Sullen about it, so people can go find it. But I have to worry about, like, say this case that I was talking about with the ex parte. It's an iPhone. 
it's an iPhone that I need that law enforcement only tool to get all the data out of. Now, here's where the kicker is. This phone was locked and powered off. Right? Right. And I think Andrew knows where I'm going with this. Yeah. I, I <laughs> also have to have the concern for the client, though, that at this time, I need to also advise them that law enforcement does have a capability of a tool that will put a piece of software running in the background on that phone where if I were to use the passcode provided by the client, extract the data, because this is ex parte, remember, uh, and then turn the phone back off, we gave it back to them for evidence that the passcode that I put in was actually snapshot and captured and can be used by that law enforcement only forensic tool to give them access when they didn't have access previously. Got it. That's could, scary. That's beyond scary. Or you're you're basically or I this happens every day. I have uh, a group of experts over at FBI FBI office today. Same thing. You we get a video record all your all your work. We get a copy of all your notes before you leave. We get to see everything that you would normally consider attorney work product unless the attorney's sitting here and that's our rules. You can live with there or get out of here. <laughs> you know, you it's kind so of so that they're dictating how the expert works now. <laughs> oh, not only dictating, how many times, Patrick? How many orders do you think you've had to argue in court about the access to evidence in which they want you to use their tools and their methods to do something? Look. So then they've got a very specified result. I mean, what we probably had this conversation two dozen times probably in the last year. Look, I just got an email just the other day about this exact thing. And here we go talking about, and I'll say the name, I don't care, talking about Gray Key again, right? right? And so I just got another email from another prosecutor that states that the law enforcement agency who did the examinations, uh, county attorney, says that they're not allowed to call it by that name and that they have to use different language in, a, in an order in order to provide me the data. <laughs> you know why? No. Well, Don, what would be the reasoning behind that? They they put there's non-disclosure agreements with law enforcement that says that law enforcement's not to share the tool, access to the tool, or how the tool works with anybody, including the court. So the court doesn't have the authority to order law enforcement to disclose that they even use that tool. How is how is that even how we, wow. possible? But they do. These are non-disclosure agreements. So there are cases out there where they say, no, it's a law enforcement sensitive technique, even though a private company makes it. Hold on. I have the exact language right here that was used in this most recent case. The forensic image generated by the iOS investigative tool, which was retrieved from the defendant's cell phone. That's what they want to use instead of saying wow. the image that was produced by Gray Key. Yeah, they want to word it a certain way. Yeah, but then when they word it that way, they could give me any forensic image generated by any tool that can process an iOS invested, you know, uh, iOS image. Right. That's not telling me you're going to give me exactly what I'm asking for that I know you have in your possession. Yeah. They're basically trying to go around, you know, they're trying to go down the back door to get you what you need when it has nothing to do with what you need. That's not because even what you're asking Because they think the vendor for. is going to sue them or take away their tool or whatever it may be. But I told them, I said, it's too broad. Right. You, 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 this goes above and beyond law enforcement, too. You have private companies that are doing investigative work that have government contracts that are feeding that into the system. That they're not allowed to disclose the private companies involved. So I've had cases where the case started in Canada, outside the jurisdiction of the United States, but the officer in the United States claimed he did all of it. The problem is, is they're just going out online to a website and claiming the case, and the case is already prepped and ready for them. They didn't do any of the work. Well, they sign know, affidavits that, saying they do. That's why, you know, these conversations are just so important because the public, I'm in the field and I don't even know half of when you guys talk, I'm learning a lot of this stuff for the first time myself. And it's fascinating. So I can't even imagine just the average citizen who's now sitting in a jury box or the defendant who's up against these things. 
they don't really understand what takes place behind the scenes. And there's so many moving parts to this puzzle on all different elements. We're, we're just focused on the uh, expert side of things and look at how involved it is and how convoluted and who's really after the science and who's not. I mean, it's it's scary when you think about it. It's scary. It is. I, I think the the problem we have is really everything in our industry is built for one side of this, which is not for justice. This is built for law enforcement, for prosecutions. Right. It is not. And we've confronted these companies one-on-one with hot, the head honchos, you know, CEOs, vice presidents. And we said, how can you sell a tool that unbalances the scales of justice in a way that we cannot rebalance it with any court order whatsoever? And they say, we don't care. We have one mission, and is that to pit people in prison. That is it. They don't say, well, I think we want to support the justice system. Money. Yeah. Right. Well, they said million dollars, you know, in seed no. funding and everything else. But the problem is, is they're, they're catering to them because that's who's going to buy their tool more. Not about equal. Stuff. Yeah, that's their honeypot. You know, whoever's feeding them, that's what they're going to cater to. But, you know, it's it's you know, it's a really dangerous position as a corporation to be in that. And if anybody listening to this podcast hears this, I wish they take this to heart to expect a corporate board. Patrick and I could go out to. A couple, like for instance, there's a national Discord uh, server that's being used for forensic experts to talk to each other. We could go out there and easily pull 5,000, 6,000 posts about a tool's failure, go to court, and have the tool dauberted and say it's out. It cannot be relied upon. It's got way too many errors, error ratios, this. You know, we could throw that out there. We could completely cripple their sales force. Right. But we don't. Because we also need it to defend our clients, right? But one day, they're going to have somebody like us that has the knowledge that we do that's exiting this industry blow them up. Yeah, they and have nothing. Happens, to, somebody who has nothing to lose, you know, and just go out yeah, that way. When, you know? when that happens, they're in deep trouble. Like, it's kind of like call detail records. There's entire companies that make call detail record analysis software. And, they, and now, finally, after 10 years of getting thumped on, they say, well, all this is kind of theoretical. Now they teach that. And if you look at the judge's order in the Northern District of Seventh Circuit, it's out. They can't even use it anymore. So as far as I'm concerned, that software sales is dead in the Seventh Circuit, of, you know, which is like Northern District of Illinois. Right. Dead. Gone. Imagine if that happens on a national level. Well, I was they just going to say we have to hope fire. we have to hope that it goes on that you know kind of scale where these other districts starts to take notice and realize the defunct aspect of it. You know. Or second part is somebody is going to go in, reverse engineer a version of the software, find out where their flaws are, and expose them in court. And they're going to get. One of two things are going to happen, and they just need to be fair. It needs to be about justice, but it's not about justice right now. And what's really odd is I've had I've had conversations with top top brass in the FBI, DOJ, and we talked about this. And they go, they had no idea some of these things were going on that these software vendors were actually saying to me. And I put them on the phone with them once, and they says we're prohibited because the DOJ has asked us not to sell to non-law enforcement. They said they will quit buying our tool. And they said, I want to know exactly who said this. And when they found out who said this and who was spinning this, it was really surprising to them. And they just could not believe that that would be the case. Now, the individuals I was talking to were lawyers at the DOJ. They weren't, they weren't, they were like in-house counsel, that kind of deal. Gotcha. But the, the individuals that were saying these things are so one-sided. It's not about the justice. It's about the numbers of prosecution. Yeah, and and it's about it's getting that high percentage. They want that high yep. percentage conviction rate. It's a dangerous game to play because yeah. – and, and you, I, I think Patrick could say the same thing. I say it's a pretty awesome power to be able to come into court like us because we almost feel like we're batting a, a ball around and we're, we're, you know, we're a cat. We're just you know playing games with them almost because we can right. – we can completely destroy the prosecution's case drive a bus through the whole thing and i don't care who they are and how arrogant they are or how much prep work they've done you know it's science and when you put the science first you're going to win you are but the problem is we're not just defending science here we're defending against the bad bad 
training of judges, the horrible training officers went through, the indoctrination of the fraternal components. We're, we're defending against this entire ecosystem that has nothing to do with science. So we've got to be, it's a very, it's, I would say it's a little bit of an art to get through all that, to get it back down to the science. But we've got to do something in our industry to break it and pit it back to science because we are so far off base at this point. And there's a few places I have to see. So like Magna Forensics, I have to give it to them. They started this new project and it's about giving equal access to justice by getting giving their software away to public defenders, places like that. Um, and that's been, a, that's been something great. But the problem you also have is because there's law enforcement officers trying to serve on this, they're going to be up against other law enforcement officers. Now you have law enforcement against law enforcement in court, and that's not going to bode very well. I have a feeling that there's going to be some malpractice issues and, you know, there's going to be some I some see. problems in the future there because there's no bias to biased opinions could come out real quick. You got to be very real, real careful there. Yeah, Patrick, you're, you're right. Those errors and emissions policies will start kicking in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, for, not only for the attorney that's involved to the malpractice, but yeah, the E&O problems they're going to have. So yeah. it's going to be that. Hey, gentlemen, I'd love to stay with you, but I'm getting roped into a court. Yeah, uh, no, it's great. I think, uh, you know, unless you guys have anything else to add, uh, you uh, know, Patrick, you have something? Uh, yeah, my, my last comment is just this for, for you, for the listeners, is just stop getting the wool pulled over your eyes. Couldn't you know, have said that better myself. Getting, yep. Take what you're getting from digital forensics with uh, a little bit of understanding that unless it's coming from someone that you consulted yourself, I would question it. At least question it. At least get a consultation to see if what you're being provided is accurate. And if it's not, then you can go dig into the why not. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and gentlemen, can you just uh, let, let the listeners know if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Good, Patrick. So, yeah, so to get in touch with me, uh, you can contact us through our website, which is www.metadataforensics.com. Uh, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter, uh, we're on Facebook, all at uh, Metadata Forensics, and our number is 866-382-3282. And uh, this is Andrew Garrett, Garrett Discovery, G-A-R-R-E-T-T-D-I-S-C-O-V-E-R-Y.com. You can uh, reach us on there. We have multiple phone numbers for our labs across the United States. Give us a call. We'll be glad to do a case consultation and tell you whether or not uh, you should pursue any um, further consulting work based on the merits of the case and situation at hand. But one thing we can always help with, and both, both of our firms do the same thing here, is making sure you have all of the evidence in your hand so you're not sandbagged to trial with something you're not prepared for. Thank so you both, give gentlemen. Us a call. I'll be glad to talk. And, and I'm actually going to have your uh, the contact information will also be in the details of this podcast. Awesome. So you guys could pull that. Or any, anybody listening, you could just click on the links. And guys, as, as always, I think we have really uh, great conversations, and I appreciate your time. Thank you, Dominic. Have a great day. Thanks. You, you too. Talk to you soon. Thanks. And there you have it. Uh, it was, I think today was a great episode. I think we really dove into a lot of topics that people are just unaware of. And as Patrick and Andrew said, it's very important just to know what you're dealing with. So I've said it on many episodes, the importance of a defense team getting experts. You have to have those oppositional experts to go up against whatever the prosecution may have or the government may have. It's vital because if not, look at the perils of what could take place when a jury only hears one side of things. And look how slanted it could be. You know, it was eye-opening as far as how law enforcement controls the expert fields. I wasn't aware of, of to the extent of that. I mean, it really was very concerning. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed the episode. Until next time. You've been listening to the Justice Tech Pros Podcast with Dominic Crea. 
one of the most unique podcasts on the internet, discussing the obstacles the defense team faces when trying a case, what goes on behind the scenes during pretrial and motion phase, holding defense attorneys accountable, making sure they're fighting for their clients, the difference between textbook law and how things truly play out in a courtroom, and everything in between. And everything in between. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show, and we'll be back soon. Until then, find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Justice Tech Pros. To email the show with questions and comments, it's podcast at justicetechpros.com. Till next time, this is Justice Tech Pros Podcast and Dominic Crea signing off.